there are very few things that are absolutely capital T true, but in life and in golf, I think it is capital T true that you have a hundred percent control over your attitude. And that's the only thing that is true on a day in day out basis with this game, this life, you are single-handedly in control of the way that you choose to see the world. Hey everyone, and welcome to Apex Golf IQ, the podcast that helps you become a smarter golfer with a club in and out of your hand. I'm KB Blanchard, and today I'm joined in the golf lab by Wyatt Larkin. How's it going, guys? Callahan Elsie. Hello, everybody. PGA Pro Quinn Griffin. Hello. And we make up the teachers and coaches of Apex Golf Lab. Today's episode is all about what is golf IQ? Everyone talks about it, but no one really speaks about what Golf IQ is. So we're going to talk about how you can get Golf IQ and what exactly it is. So this is an open question to the room. If you guys have anything as far as what your opinion of Golf IQ is. Yeah, so, you know, you think about Golf IQ and Mark Brody's book, Stroke Gains. You know, we think about being more of a strategic player when we go on the golf course. And that definitely is Golf IQ, no question about it. But there's so much underneath that. You know, there's development of uh, your body in the gym. There's development of um, your nutrition before you go out and play. You know, development of your game plan, which I think is something a lot of players really struggle with. You know, with Google Earth and all that, you should be able to pull that stuff up and know the wind direction. And you come to the golf course with a, a like I call it, a 90-10 plan. 90% you're going to execute, 10 is the audible. Not when you kind of snap one out of bounds, the 10% audible, but a logical audible. So there's a lot of things of golf IQ that we're going to discuss that's not about, you know, are you creating flexion through the ball with your left wrist? Are you clearing out your hips, all that? Because that's important. But that's not the primary thing I think what we're going to do here. I really like that what you said there, Quinn. I think a plan is, I mean, just golf IQ. When I think of golf IQ, I just think, first off, just having a plan. Going out to the golf course every single day with a plan. And while you're out there trying to remove the emotion, no matter what goes on in the golf course, just always sticking to that plan. Yeah, not too, not making too many emotional decisions. Emotional decisions can definitely get you in trouble on the golf course. What Quinn said, referring back to uh, kind of how much is done off the golf course versus on the golf course, everyone's going to have a different percentage. I mean, some people are going to do a lot more away from the course than they do on the course. Some people are going to have just those moments on the course where they really use their past experiences and their golf IQ to help them hit better shots and make better decisions. But like I said, if you make an emotional decision – you're definitely going to get yourself into some trouble. I think your key term that you uh, came up with there was experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I think the biggest learning, ex- like, part of golf is the experience and the learning part of it. Um, it comes from competing. It comes from getting out there. It comes from competing with your buddies and, and playing different golf courses. Um, that type of thing um, really well, makes you well-rounded, right? You start to see different shots and ideas. And, 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 and again, I think that the golf IQ, it begins with spending time on the golf course, period. Just yeah, as much no, as you can spend there. No question. You know, I think the biggest uh, downfall of junior golfers <clears throat> is they expect to be perfect. And golf is, uh, I say this, you guys hear me say this all the time, that it's over a 90% failure sport. It is. Because you get up there and you got 150 yards and you choose it, this 8-iron and you aim it at the middle of the green and you push it you know, 25 feet to the right, you know, that, is that the shot you try to hit? No, but that's golf. And so, you know, this is what I really like about Golf IQ because we're going to give the, the listeners a chance to really understand how to be a better version of you on the golf course. 
Because if you can be that better version of you on the golf course, then you're going to control that emotional uh, side of your brain, which allows you to be more logical, you know, and then we're going to talk about, hey, are you activating the front cortex or the back cortex? The front cortex is the thought process of the brain. The back cortex is reactive. So, yeah, a lot of things we're going to talk about. I'm really excited because, you know, we got some really talented uh, teachers in this room, KB, White, and Callahan, you know, all have played at, at very high levels. And uh, so I'm excited to hear what they have to say. Yeah, and I'll come from kind of a different background. I know Cal- Callahan and uh, Wyatt both came up playing college golf, and I came up playing competitive baseball and then transferred over. So that kind of cross-training will be something we're going to talk about in future episodes. Um, and then another thing we're definitely going to talk about, which I'm super excited about, is comparing a young golfer's mind to someone who's been playing golf for a long period of time to see how Wyatt said that keyword, their experience, plays out and how their golf IQ changes over the amount of rounds they play. Hey, why are you looking at me when you say long period of time? Just trying to understand that. <laughs> well, I'm why don't you point at me like it's that? It's not an elephant in the room. It's <laughs> an age thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no question. Experience is uh, you can't shortcut that. There's no question about it. And again, what we're trying to do here with our listeners and with our students is we're trying to teach them that experience, that that the failures that we've had, and we're trying to create a shortcut because to identify the problems is not really. I think where the goal's at. The goal is, is how do you problem solve that? How do you give the student the right information that could, they can be better from their failure? Because I see it over and over. Players continue to make the same mistake over and over and over. That, that just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, in these golf IQs, we're going to try to teach players in all different realms how to be better in the gym, like we talked about, how to be better mentally, how to be better nutritionally. You know, like TPI, Dr. Greg Rose and Dave Phillips, friends of mine, um, say – a couple of blogs they've uh, put together, they've talked about that when you come down the stretch and you fail, most of the time we point at a golf swing. It's not. It's a fact that our body's shutting down from we don't have the nutrition. You know how many times you see these guys, Tiger and these guys coming down 17 and their jaws going to overtime? They're, they're fueling their body, you know? So, again, a lot of elements we can talk about. Um, coming from my experience, I really think that another place that you can – to, that you can get I golf IQ is from your coach. You know, what we do here at Apex, you know, you coming in and spending time with us, we practice, we start uh, really working on the things that you may not be good at, right? And I think it really does uh, come from being around your coach and being around the right people and surrounding yourself with the right, right ones, yeah. As far as, uh, as far as like a golf experience that's kind of helped you develop your IQ, Callahan, I mean, would you give me an example of that, something there? I know to not put you on the spot there. But. No, for sure. <laughs> uh, I would say less of my own golf experience. I mean, certainly throughout my entire career, which is I'm 23 years old, I've played competitive golf since I was three, so 20 years of golf experience. Yeah. I have definitely uh, felt like I have learned a lot about the game, yeah. um, but I think Tiger Woods uh, – has continuously created an outstanding example of golf IQ. I remember watching the 2018 Valspar. He was on the 18th hole. He had to make birdie to force a playoff. And I think this is the best example I've ever seen of golf IQ. Rather than hitting driver, which is like what the crowd and what everyone wanted him to do, just bomb a driver down there, he decided he was going to hit a four iron off the tee and give himself like 200 yards into a really tight uh it was like, I think the green was guarded by bunkers, his back right pin, but everyone was saying he should bomb driver, bomb driver, try to get down there, hit a wedge, make a birdie that way. But he decided to hit four iron, 
and give himself a chance because he knew if he didn't hit the fairway, he had no chance of making birdie and getting the playoff. Yeah. I think that is a perfect example of golf IQ, and just removing 100% of the emotion out of the game plan, sticking to what he decided he was going to do early on the week, maybe exactly. on Thursday. Yeah. And even like, I mean, why you, yeah. you can. Well, I was going to ask, like, so that's uh copperhead course, right? Yeah. Down, okay. Go. Yeah. I've played exactly. there several times. Hitting that tee shot, it's kind of winding up the hill there with a little bit of bunkers yeah. right and left. Exactly. You have to hit the fairway. Yeah, no doubt. You have to hit the fairway. That's definitely smart. I mean, Golf IQ definitely helped him make that smart decision. Now, there's definitely something on the table now that people have been talking about lately, this chase for distance. You know, Bryson hits the ball a country mile. Yeah. And then he has a nine iron into the greens where other people are hitting six irons and eight irons. Bryson is playing his game. Yeah. Bryson has established his game plan prior to going out there. Okay, and you hear him talk about that when he won the Open. His game plan was just hit as far down the fairway as possible because he felt prior to the tournament, the way they, the USGA set up the fairways, they were so firm and so narrow, him chasing fairways did not make sense. So he said, forget that. I'm going to hit as far as I can because I'm not going to hit the fairways even if I try to hit the fairways. I mean, he hit like, what did he hit, like four fairways the last round? Yeah. Crazy numbers. And so he stuck to his game plan. And I, I love that about a player. I love a player that goes to the golf course and already has a defined game plan, just like Tiger did. Tiger already knew ahead of time he was going to hit that four iron. Yeah. So he takes all the emotion out of making a shot where most players don't have that ability or they don't think about that. So when they get up to the golf hole, they got emotions driving that. All right, now going to the distance factor. So if you look at stroke gains, Mark Brody, um, the number one accurate driver in the PJ Tour is Jim Furyk, okay? Bryson DeChambeau is 148th on that list, okay? Bryson DeChambeau is number one in stroke gains and scoring, and Jim Furyk is 144. So if you look at that, you'd say, yeah, distance is important. And then stroke gain says when you miss a fairway in the rough, you lose a third of a shot. That's not that much. So definitely powers is definitely on the forefront. We, we teach it at Apex. You know, Wyatt and KB do a wonderful job in here with our super speed sticks and, and trying to get players speed up because I think the speed is relevant. And then especially with our juniors, you're training them in that ideal training window where you can enhance that speed. So speed is a factor, but I'm still a little bit of the old school that, you know, proximity to the hole and accuracy is still a factor in the game. Definitely. So I think it's a combination. Fine balance. Well I said. Yeah. Um, you know, an experience for me, um, was when I actually started school at Kennesaw State University. I walked onto that, that, that team, and there was five international players. Uh, sorry, I'm going to correct myself, four international players. I got to spend two to three years with those individuals, and I, before that, was a pretty much a one-dimensional short game player, right? I, I lofted the ball up in the air and played it, just like one of those things, right? Over time... I had uh, some of my Spanish teammates come up to me and they said, they're like, why you got to hit the ball so high? Like they do things different in Spain, right? And then overseas. So they came over and they taught me how to, how to hit better shots using the ground and hit, keeping the ball lower. And so when I, when, what I'm trying to get at is, is I was, I opened my mind to how other people did things, right? I opened my, my skills to be, uh, molded into a new way and a new vision. So now when I walk up to a golf ball that's around the green, I can actually, I can see different shots, exactly. right? And so 
those players, I mean, even now today, Frederick, he's playing uh, Challenge Tour over in, in Europe. Uh, a few of them are playing Challenge Tour. And, I mean, they're very, very successful players. And I wouldn't be the short game guy I am today without them. Yeah. Yeah, but I, there's a slippery slope with all that because you sometimes chase stuff that you're never going to arrive at and you're into it. So I'll use Callahan as an example. So oh boy. Um, <laughs> Callahan, um, I was fortunate enough to start working with him when he's in eighth grade. And I remember sitting in, in the golf shop with him and his dad, and so it's, and it's a snowy day, and, and Callahan weighs 110 pounds. <laughs> the only reason he weighs 110 because he's got like, you know, like three pounds of candy in his pocket or something like that. <laughs> okay. And so we're, I, we, we challenged Callahan to get stronger and get quicker, and, and he did some things along those lines, but he never really got the speed that, that he, you know, ideally you'd want to. But the thing Callahan could comment on this, I always told Callahan, Callahan, be who you are. Be true to yourself. Because Callahan is a wizard around the green. Callahan's a wizard with his wedges. He's a wizard inside 150. I says, be that guy. Celebrate who you are and don't pick on yourself that you're not. For sure. I mean, yeah, most definitely. I think for a while there, uh, maybe like late into high school, early into college, I kind of struggled with knowing who I was as a player. I was trying to like chase distance, trying to hit it as far as I could. The only thing I cared about when I was on the range was just seeing if I could get the, to the golf ball to carry over, like, 285 and get it to 300. But And when you do that, I mean, there is are definitely helpful ways and good ways of doing that, just like Bryson has made it very evident. Um, but, I mean, I just feel like understanding your strengths and playing towards those uh, is a very healthy way and, like, definitely one of the ways to sharpen your golf IQ. I mean, if you don't know who you are on the golf course, it's very hard. Yeah, playing to your strengths. I agree with that. I mean, I my short game needs work, so I kind of I kind of do a little bit of both. I, my strength is probably driving the ball, but then my my short game needs work. So I definitely play to my strength, which is try to hit it far. But then I know on the back end, I have to put in the effort to practice the short game to get more of a well-rounded uh, golf golf game and golf IQ. Okay, so one you know, guys, just everyone throw out one thing. So you're only allowed one. One influence of golf IQ you're going to teach a junior, what would that be? Just one. Just one. I know there's a hundred of those, but I'm curious what gets on your radar as one of the tops. For me, guys, I think is the attitude that a junior or a player has while they're playing. And what I mean by attitude is also expectations, right? Are What you're putting into the game, right? You know, you could do a ton of practice in a week or or a month or so getting ready for a golf tournament, but walk up onto that first tee and feel the most uncomfortable you've ever felt in your life, right? Mm -hmm. That's just going to happen. We are human beings, right? So starting at an early age, why not start to install the idea that failure is going to happen, right? You know, so the faster I think that some kids can get over that and even the parents understand that their kids are going to fail sometimes, I think that really uh, moves a kid along well in his, ca- his career. That's the game that we play, I feel yeah. like. I mean, if, if you can't accept that before you get out on the tee, I feel like you've already done yourself a, a large disservice. I mean, understanding and accepting the fact that some days it's just, you're just not going to have it, I feel like is uh, one of the fastest ways to just, I mean, move forward in the game for sure. Yeah, definitely. I'd say the one thing about Golf IQ that kind of strikes me uh, would be course management. And this is a big one that I work on because I need to start working on my course management. But course management, basically hitting the right shots in the right situations or making smart decisions. So I know that I hit a ball that curves from right to left, and sometimes I over-curve the center line. So if I have water on the left-hand side of the fairway, 
I'm most likely not going to hit a club that can get to that water over there on the left. So I'm going to play smart and have good course management and hit a shot that puts me in the fairway so I can hit a better shot. So basically taking bogey out of play, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Take yeah. Eliminate the big numbers. That's that's a goal. Damage a goal. control. Damage control. Exactly. Exactly. This game is hard enough. Honestly. Yeah, it is. It, it really yeah, is. You also fail your sport. So yeah. if, you can, if you can make it easier, that's that's all power to you. My college coach, <coughs> he was um, – he coached at University of Texas as an assistant on the football team, and his wife came up to uh, be second in charge of university, and she just gave him a lay-down job to help the team. And he'd always say to me this big draw. He says, Griffin, he said it takes two holes to make up a birdie. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> he'd does. always get my attention with that, funny as anything. But the thing that really strikes me, we, we talk about these great athletes, and we talk about on the golf course what they do exceptionally well, putting, chipping, all that. But you know, it's all stemmed to one thing, and one thing alone, attitude. The only thing that makes a great player is a great attitude. If you have that great attitude, you're going to be constantly upbeat about your game. And you can see it on the golf course by the way people carry their chest. It looked like a dog that's just been whooped and sent in the corner. You know, they just made a double versus their chest is like a, a peacock just walking out there right out. So, so I think attitude is everything. And, you know, there's, um, I've listened to a couple podcasts with some really talented teachers, and they all seemingly talk about attitude. And I, so I think that's under-talked about, and I, definitely something that I try to do with players. I know I did it with Callahan, I, you know, with all my players. You know, Listen, you can't control anything that's going to happen today, nothing, zeroable. But you can control the controllables, and one of the controllables is your attitude, how you're going to accept failure and failure is coming it yeah. is coming how you're going to walk over that bridge and when you fail it's going to define your round yeah i mean on the golf course and just in life in general i think there are very few things that are absolutely capital t true but in life and in golf i think it is capital t true that you have 100 percent control over your attitude and that's the only thing that is true on a day in day out basis with this game in this life you are single-handedly in control of the way that you choose to see the world when you wake up when you go out to the golf course when you go to bed you know we teach golf in here but we really teach life skills that's what yeah. we do and attitude's a life skill you know and the quicker you can wrap your head around that and apply that the simpler your life's going to be in a non-simple life because life again is just kind of like golf it's a lot of failures out there and how you handle those failures coming off your your comment about you know, strutting like a peacock. Apparently, I got to get some feathers and, <laughs> and do that. On the, that'd be funny, actually. Um, no, what I was gonna, what I was gonna say is, is I don't know if you remember one of the interviews with Brooks Kepka after he won his U.S. Open and um, actually two U.S. Opens. Um, one of the things that he did to really help his game is he actually hired a videographer and had him video him through his whole round. Hmm. to catch his highs and lows, right, his attitude. And he noticed when he first started videoing him that he, as soon as he'd have a down point in his, in his round, his momentum had fallen, he'd droop, just like you were saying, right? And so he noticed right away, and this might be why he comes off as a jerk to some people, and he walks with a proud feeling, I guess, is he never wants to feel, like he doesn't want people to know that he just made a bad number. He wants to look like he's just five, six hundred par at all times. And I think that has that I think that's powerful. I really do, as much as some people dislike Brooks Kepka, but 
I think that's why he'll always be competitive no matter what. He ne- he doesn't have a bad outlook. Yeah. Poor body language is a I mean it's very easy to spot and it's a sign of weakness. I mean if if you're competing in whatever you're doing and you see your opponent is drooping, has their head in, down just looking like they just I don't know. Yeah, that circles back to mindset. Mindset's one of the things we're going to talk about in future episodes. Your outlook, like like you guys are talking about, your mindset really controls the the flow of your round. So better outlook, better round. And down the road is going to be uh, goals. Uh, goals are important. Setting goals, setting goals that are attainable, setting goals that are reachable. That just ties right into what we do with our players. So we send our players home with the goal sheets, you know, and basically there's, I think, about 15 different goals that they're going to pick from. Here, I'll grab a sheet here, and we can take a look at it really quick. And I think goals are really important because if you don't have something you're working toward, then you're not working. you got to have something you're working toward, and you got to have a way to quantify it. you got to say, did I obtain those goals? So on these goal sheets here that uh, we're sending home with all our students, you know, we're talking about center of contact. We're talking about go-to shot, proximity 50 to 125, increased club head speed, increased fairway hits, um, a purpose-based practice schedule. That is so violated. I mean, I see that all the time. Players go out there. I say, okay, I want you to do, I want you to go work on your your game. And they get out there and they they do, uh, they hit 100 shots of a seven or eight at the same target. Well, they might as well not have been showing up on there. Um, mental fortitude. Developing a, a really solid routine. And then ele- elevate your golf IQ. So we sent these home with, with all our, our students. And they're going to come back. And so that's the what. And then the second thing is the how. How are we going to do that? And the third is the why. The why is what drives us. The why is the passion behind that. Why do I want to have a go-to shot? You know, why? And so when you define the why, then you can really move on. So goals are going to be huge. Yeah, that's good, especially making the kids fill that out, fill that out themselves. Because, I mean, a lot of students look for direction from their instructor, but we also want to kind of put it a little bit on them to give them the, f- the feeling of what exactly they want to excel at and stuff like that. And then just so all the listeners know, we're going to be offering that uh, goal sheet. Uh, it's going to be available in the show notes for the podcast. Just letting you, uh, letting you guys know that. Quinn, I want to go back to what you said about the, the purpose-based practice schedule. Um, I've seen a lot of my students and throughout just my just being in golf over the last couple of years, um, I don't know that anyone really practices – Correctly, correct. There are yeah. very few people that, in my mind, that I've seen where I wouldn't give them a piece of advice or want to change maybe something about the way that they practice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of people just go out there, they grab grab a big basket of balls, they rake a ball over, hit it, rake a ball over, hit it. They hit the same club the whole time. They hit the same target the whole time. They don't vary anything. So you get into a routine there, and your mind goes into not a growth state. Exactly. And that right there, I mean, I feel like is a – uh, causes some bit of destruction to the golf IQ. I mean, yeah, if we course. aren't practicing correctly, I don't know that we can expect or plan to play well when we do. Play yeah, practice like you play. I mean, play. We don't do that. We don't do that, and we haven't been educated. That's that that burden goes on us four in this room to educate our students how to be better practicers. And there's enough of the sports science out there that talks about how the mind's involved, whether it's in a growth or set stage, you know, and one of the things that uh, that I really challenge a player to do is go out to a range, and, and if you're working on something in your swing, it's okay, but you have to hit a different club every time with it because that is more of what you're going to experience on the golf course because you hear it over and over, hey, I hit the ball perfect on the range and went on the golf course and shot 100. Well, you didn't prep yourself of what you're going to see on the golf course random practicing, yeah. 
you didn't do any of that, where golf is random. You're never going to hit the same shot twice. Similar, but probably never the same shot because the green might be a little bit softer, might be a little firm, the temperature might be a little bit colder, might be a little hotter. I don't think I've hit the same shots. I've hit similar shots, but I don't think I've hit identical shots. Maybe on the putting green, maybe, but still there's variables on those things. Um, For my students... When it comes to beginners and such, you know, I kind of stick stick to the block practice idea, right? Because <clears throat> they're trying to get some of the movements down and try to be more efficient um, at those movements, maybe the, some of the positions in the golf swing. But for some of my more elite players and players that are trying to get better and trying to hit golf shots, right, and they're playing a lot more golf, I kind of restrict it to the one ball rule that I like to use. Um so, like, for instance, one of my students, I only allow him to have one golf ball in the simulator or when we're practicing, right? He's only allowed to hit one golf ball every 45 seconds. Why? Because he's at a level that his movement is very, very efficient. He can hit the ball solid almost every single time. He can shape it, right? So, when we practice outside, he has to take the time between each golf shot to think about what he has to do and then execute, right? So that is the type of practice that I see that is most beneficial for experienced players. But for, you know, obviously the beginners, I would treat them a little differently because they're in a, you know, they're in a different, different part of their game. I like that 45 seconds in between each ball. That's pretty good stuff. Yeah. I think that's what apex does really well in here. So when we have a potential student come in here, we give them an evaluation and in that evaluation, you know, we look at their, mobility, stability of their swing, and then we ask them what their goals are, and then we, we create a plan that matches all those things. And so that's the same with, with practicing. We make a plan because if I have somebody comes in there and says, hey, my goal is to win the club championship, and I say, okay, how often are you going to practice? Once a month, I go, well, we got to change the goals or change the practice behavior. But more importantly, we got to give him the right content to practice away from here. And by far, that's the number one thing that, that students want. They want to know what they need to do away from Apex. And that's a fun thing about what we do here. When the student leaves here, they know exactly what's resp- what they need to do away from here from a practice schedule. That's what makes us unique. And not only that, but we, we like to hold our students accountable by talking to the parents. The parent-student dynamic is big here at Apex. We like to keep the parents informed um, and also keep, keep them kind of in the back scene, like in their kid's ear, trying to keep them on track too. Because we can say it all we want. We want you to practice when you leave Apex. But if you don't have golf on your mind or you don't have somebody else kind of driving you to do that and then you don't want it for yourself, you you won't practice away from Apex. That's so true because <clears throat> there are some teachers that don't believe in parents' involvement. Um, I'm not one of them, nor we are here at Apex. Um, I, you know, like in Callian's case, I talked to Dr. Dean on a weekly basis. And I felt the more informed he was of what I was doing with his son, then he wouldn't, wouldn't have to feel like he had to be involved. He didn't feel like he had to micromanage anything. So I think keeping the parents involved and understanding where you're taking the son or daughter or the adult or whoever it is, then they'll say, hey, we trust Quinn or Callahan or White or KB to, to manage our, our son or daughter. And, and it gives us a lot more freedom to, to do that. And parents today, they're, they're much more involved. And we're going to talk about that in one of the golf IQs, how parents can be the best version of themselves and how they can be the best version to their kids, because that's dicey. You know, being a father of three, my kids are all raised. There's no question if I can do some things different, I would. I've learned so much teaching the youth, so much teaching um, uh, college kids and the adults. I, I definitely would have been a different dad 
because of what I've learned. And, and again, because there's, there's information out there that you can study that shows these are the right performance. You know, when your son or daughter is 12 years old, there's the research that says you should hand them off to a different coach because the kid just hears the same material. Hey, take out the garbage. Were you nice to your sister? Do the dishes. And oh, by the way, you need to have flexion in your left hand through the ball. Well, they're not going to hear that. They're not. So it's, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to all these uh, future podcasts. Another thing that we'll have conversations about is college coaching. I currently right now coach at uh, USF here in town in Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, University of St. Francis. It's an NAIA program. Uh, I coach men and women's golf. I'm the assistant coach. I shouldn't say I am the coach. Uh, no, there's Corey Potts. He's the head coach. Um, he was a former player there, and I've been there now for about a year. Um, and I think that, you know, after, after junior golf comes high school golf, right? And there's a little bit of that competition going on, but then there's college golf. Okay. That's a whole nother level. High school golf is way different. different. Yes, correct. People are hitting it further. They're scoring better. And that's the time. And I think that apex, like, I think when it comes to practice and learning how to get better, I think that's what we're good. That's another thing that we're good at here at apex. We, we have the technology and the coaches with the experience to better a player from that high school level to the college golf level. The other dynamic that comes in is that golf coach versus college golf coach dynamic, right? That communication between those two people, because sometimes when a, co- when a player goes off to school, you know, their people are, um, you know, they're having to manage those two things like the player is. And so, so are the parents. Sometimes parents get a little uneasy about, you know, those things. And that's something that we, as, as, as professionals here at apex, we kind of have that dynamic here. You know, we have two, two golfers here, myself and Cal, Cal, you know, in your experience, you know, what was that like for you, you know, going to college and having a, a, a college coach and then also a swing coach? Yeah, it was good because Quinn was my coach at the time and he did a good job communicating both with the two colleges, the coaches that I played for. I think speaking and communicating is a huge part of our job. If we are able to successfully communicate to the player, to the coach, and to the parents and get everyone involved, get everyone on the same page and get everyone kind of pushing towards the same goal. I think we've done a great job. Um, But I think a lot of issues arise when maybe us and the college coaches aren't communicating, aren't seeing eye to eye, and there are different opinions being thrown at the player from two different people that they trust. I think that that's when some issues definitely arise. Um, So yeah, just being able to communicate with college coaches and with parents and with family um, is a huge part of our job. And if we can do that, the better we can do that, the better everyone else will be, I feel like. Yeah, yeah that's great. And we'll go, we'll go deeper into that subject because that's a really rich subject. You know, Callahan and White are, are fresh out of the, uh, the collegiate world. Uh, so we can definitely have some really great podcasts about these, these high school kids in there that are panicking about golf and especially with COVID and all the uncertainties out there, how we can, uh, you know, be better prepared. So, uh, boy, great podcast today, guys. Really look, I'm really looking forward to the future ones. And, and again, if you have any questions that come on up, you can send us a, a, an email to uh, info at apexgolflab.com. Hey, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, I'll look forward to uh, catching up with you down the road. Yeah, super excited about the future of this podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you.